Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I know it sounds like really dumb, but the bathroom policy. Like, why do I have to ask an adult to use the bathroom? Like, especially for girls, like with their periods, they can't help their periods. It's just, it's just dumb to me. Hola, welcome to episode 8 of Absolutely Not, the podcast dedicated to debunking and exposing all things absolutely incorrect. I'm your host, Leanna Lupin. As you may have heard in earlier episodes, I taught middle school in East LA, and today I have the great honor of talking with and being enlightened by four of my former students. This is just part one of a two-part series on education. Part two will be a conversation with two educators where you'll get to hear a different angle on many of the topics discussed today. Pero por ahora, be prepared to be humbled by the wisdom of these young minds. Let's do it. Thank you so much for joining me and being willing to share your incredible wisdom with the world. Um, If you could just go ahead and quickly introduce yourselves and tell us a little bit about who we are hearing from. Uh, My name is Alessandro. I'm 16. I am uh, 11th grade, well, a junior. My race is uh, Hispanic, and I'm a huge Patriots fan. Definitely. Awesome. Thank you. And Matthew? Uh, Hi, my name is Matthew. I'm 13 years old, and I'm in eighth grade. Um, I'm Mia. I'm 15 years old. I live in L.A. Uh, Now I live around Southgate area, but I go to school in East L.A. Um, And... I'm currently a sophomore in high school. Yeah. I'm Sam. Um, I'm 15, and I'm a sophomore at an East LA high school. Thank you so much for being willing to talk to me today. Uh, I have a bunch of questions for you about being teenagers and being students, so we're going to dive right into it. The very first question I have for you um, is, what do you think is the most difficult part about being a teenager in 2020? This has been a really tough year and then being a teenager on top of all that is is super challenging uh i would say trying to fit in like there's a lot of peer pressuring a lot of abnormal teenage things that you have to do to fit in like things that and you wouldn't want to do otherwise yeah basically um i think that the hardest part of being a teen in 2020 would would be like not being able to see your friends, you know, because I've always been accustomed to going to school and being able to see like everyone they see most mostly on a daily basis. It's been hard because you want to go out, you know, want to do something, but you can't due to circumstances going on right now. Absolutely. Um, seeing friends is super important. Um, definitely the adjusting to like online school. It's been really hard for me because I live in a really small apartment and what's supposed to be the living room is actually my bedroom with all four of my siblings. So it's really hard to get like a space to like have some quiet. Like right now I'm currently in my grandparents' room. So that's obviously like I don't have my own space to like be talking all the time in my classes and like obviously that's gonna bring down my grade of participation because if I'm not talking then I'm not getting counted as like participating or adding on to conversation so I think the adjusting part has been like a really weird like turn for me yeah thanks Sam what about you Mia um so I'm not exactly as bothered by the school uh new the way that we're doing school now only because I like kind of doing things on my own more often so I kind of like the whole fact that I'm able to take more control of what I'm doing versus have to worry about a bunch of other people. Uh, I think the only thing is that, I mean, I'm not exactly the biggest extrovert ever, but I don't see a lot of my friends often anymore, or it's a lot less like things. And even just like older family members or other family members can't really see them as often. So that's kind of the main difference for me. And it's kind of been like, whoa. <laughs> and so on that note, like what has it been like to go to school during a, a global pandemic? Like you all are experiencing something that, and most people never have. Um, so, you know, what's it been like? Two questions. Like, one, have there been any positives to going to school online, right? Anything you didn't expect to be a, a positive that came out of this? And then, you know, what have been the biggest challenges of doing online school during during COVID? It's, it's been really weird, you know, honestly. Because I'm used to waking up really, really super early to get ready to go to school. But now that I have to do my work from home, it's it's just been really weird, you know. With the, like, getting up early versus not having to right now, 
do you think that's been a good thing or a bad thing? Like, are you getting more sleep than you normally would? Or is it hard to not have kind of like a set schedule like you usually do? Yeah, I think it's it's hard to not like have a schedule, you know, because I'm used to getting up at a specific time. Yeah. What about for you, Matthew? I know you are sleepy in school sometimes. So has it been, you know, helpful to kind of have your own schedule? Or is it similar to, to what Alessandro just said? And Oh, uh, for me, it's pretty good. I wake up like around nine and I do my work and then like finish school and then I I don't have to like walk home or do anything I can just I'm just here and then after I finish my work I just do me yeah I think the one positive that I see is that we have a lot smaller classes now and that at my school I don't know about for Mia but I actually have two free periods so I get a little break if I like if my mom needs help around the house or like I recently got a new dog so I can watch over him. But other than that, like only one assignment per class a week, shorter class classes. They used to be two hours. Now they're only 50 minutes. I only have about like 10 to 15 students in my class now. So I think that's really been one of the most positive changes that happened to our school. Um for me, uh, I guess one of the unexpected positives has been the fact that I've learned a lot about how I like to learn because I kind of I, I knew I was more like fast paced and everything, but um, I kind of learned more about the fact that I like a structure and I like being able to handwrite things versus online do things. So I've been able to kind of understand more about myself in that aspect. So it's kind of taught me a lot more about what I can do for myself to better myself in my education if other people aren't going like, to give it to me. So it's been helpful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay, cool. So um, kind of, you know, going off of what Matthew said a little bit earlier about, you know, the difficulties of being a teenager, you all have had social media probably since before you were teenagers, right? Like I'm thinking about for me, back, you know, back in my day, there was like Facebook and MySpace, but I didn't have access to that till like late in middle school, high school, and it wasn't nearly as big of a thing. So do you feel like having social media at your age or a really young age has been a positive, a negative, both kind of break that down? Uh, It's definitely been like equal, equal, because we can like text friends, like see what they're doing. But also like you just see like a lot of drama going on like definitely and drama starts there where it like maybe wouldn't happen in person yeah because there was one account that um they were like talking bad about me and then I texted them and I told them go up to me in school and say it to my face and nobody (laughs) came up to me because they were just scared talk a lot of smack online but they don't do it in real life yeah I also agree with that because um because I, I look at having social media right now as a teen is both a positive and a negative. Uh, a positive would be that you get to express yourself in ways that many people could see it. But a negative would also be that you could become addicted, always worrying about how many followers you have, how many people like your posts, you know, which yeah. I think that's really just not worth it, you know. Yeah. I mean, I think adults struggle with that too. I think, you know, I will be on my phone and I'll realize it's been like 30 minutes. I've just been scrolling through Instagram and I have no memory of deciding to do that, you know, just like ended up there. Um, I didn't really get a lot of like the big social media. Like I only got Instagram, I think a couple years ago or so. So it hasn't really, like I've noticed that I think I'm better off that I haven't had it for like since fifth grade or something that I had it when I was older and I was able to understand a lot more things about how social media works and how to be myself without it. So I think that was a good thing. But the fact that I have social media now is how I get, especially in times like these, is how I'm able to connect with my friends that I don't get to see as often because I don't even like live around them. So I can't even like do drive-bys or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm able to uh, like contact them, connect with them. I'm able to get information on other like scholarship opportunities and things and other summer programs for stuff like that. Um, I'm learn- and then obviously with all of this other stuff happening, I'm able to learn about a lot more about society and how other countries are doing. And so I feel like that's been a big outlet to the real world and then connection with other people. So I feel like it's been important now that I'm older versus if I was got it when I was like 10. Yeah, I didn't get my phone until I was in sixth grade. And then my mom had already like installed Instagram and Facebook for me and stuff like that. But I didn't really know how to use it. So I was like on it, but I was just like scrolling and like it was just useless information. 
it's easier now to get useful information instead of just like dumb slime videos now so like hey don't hate on slime don't hate on slime (laughs) they are relaxing but like yeah so like Nia said it's given me a lot of outlet to like a lot of social issues now so I'm very active on my Instagram stories like posting awareness posting petitions and stuff like that it's really helped me like get a different perspective of the world instead of just like my East LA neighborhood I, I will say I have learned things from your story, Sam. Like there are, you have posted things that I'm like, wow. And then it's inspired me. So definitely echo that. Uh, I think that what Sam was saying on like petitions and everything, like our age, we're like 15, 14, 16. We can't really like go out and do a lot of things because you can't really do much in to a better society until you're like 18 when you can actually vote and you can participate in other things. Like this is our way of being able to put some part of our information out there and be able to have an impact on something without just being told that we're too young. So that's like how I've been able to sign a couple of positions. Otherwise I wouldn't have access to. Kind of, kind of similar. My next question is more like about perception. So what is something that you think most adults or, you know, even teachers specifically absolutely do not know or realize or think about when it comes to people your age, right? Kids your age, what are some assumptions that they make or just like gaps in what in their understanding of what it's like to be your age in this world? Um, I've had some teachers, you know, assume that I'm the type of kid that's not going to really try. But then when really I'm tried the most hardest, you know, I always try to accomplish what I want to accomplish. And yeah, just them that they think that about me, it just makes me want to just prove them wrong, you know? Mm. Uh, I think an assumption that they mostly do is like, if you hang out with kids that behave bad, it doesn't necessarily mean that I'm going to behave bad. That's fair. Um, so one thing that I think adults don't realize, like I just came to this realization the other day that adults don't know what it's like to be 15 and going to school in the midst of a pandemic. My dad, he told me the other day, he was like, because he came in and he wanted me to talk to him, but I was like, I'm in the middle of class. And he was like, just mute yourself, like just turn off the video. But my school has a rule where we have to keep our videos on unless there's a valid reason. So I think there's just like that really weird, like they're not thinking about it. And also with like how we're talking about like, um, like the Black Lives Matter movement or anything like that. I think adults don't realize that since we have social media, we know a lot and we hear a lot of voices. So like, again, with my dad, I was talking to him about it and he was like, you don't even know what you're talking about. And I was like, I know more about like, Black Lives Matter than I do about like my math class. Like I'm learning, I'm learning so much <laughs> yeah. through social media that you don't even understand, and that, mm-hmm. and it's like it's interesting to see how much that he thinks that I know, rather than he he'll, he'll actually listen to what I know. So I think that's the one thing that adults don't like understand with us teenagers is that we have a lot of outlets and we use them like really well. Um, adding on to that, I think it's a whole a different thing, like a generational thing, because Generation Z has grown up not necessarily using technology, but around technology. So we're allowed to we know how to use it and we know how to use it to our advantage. And since we grew up in a world where there's been a lot more awareness and a lot more freedom, we know that we like this kind of freedom. And so we want to keep we want to keep all these kind of freedoms or any kind of human rights that we can get. And so since we are able to understand that, we want to push that out in any way possible. So I feel like a lot of adults like to think that since we're younger, we don't know anything. And I guess in some cases it could be true because there are a lot of people who don't put research into things or don't try to like learn more about things. But I think they fail to understand the fact that a lot of us do know what we're talking about and we do like to do this research and we like to spread all these things because it's the truth. They say that we're like on our phone so often, but most of the time we're actually doing something beneficial versus just like Sam was saying, watching some sort of slime videos. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I mean, I appreciate what you both just said so much. And I think it's, you know, absolutely correct. I think as adults, there's a tendency to, to be afraid to not know something and to admit you don't know something, especially to somebody younger than you. But I personally feel relief. And I feel like, you know, acknowledging that often movements are sustained by young people, by the energy young people have, by the, the, the passion that you all have. And I do think, you know, you just brought up a really interesting point, Mia, which is like, 
truth, right? We live in a world where truth is such a difficult, is more difficult to pin down, I would say, than like ever before, because there are so many sources and so many voices. And so, you know, I myself am aware of that. And I do think like, I could be more right, especially when it comes to social media and what I'm consuming. But I'm curious, what do you both do um, to, to kind of like suss out what seems true to you or what's credible. Is there anything that like school has taught you that has been beneficial in that? Or has that kind of been like a journey on your own to discover what, what is real and what is not? Usually, well, I mean, I did learn a little bit from school because I know at uh, the middle school I went to this, uh, they did a lot of like credible sources and how do you know <laughs> what you're looking at? <laughs> I'm like, yes, tell us about how great we did know. But, but really, continue. <laughs> it's the truth though, because I mean, otherwise I wouldn't have, really known how to tell I just would have had to base it off what I'm reading like does that sound true and then I mean I grew up around parents who are very open-minded fortunately so like they've told me like okay but do you really think that that would be real or do you really think that this makes sense so I think it's a combination of both like knowing like websites that are beneficial versus not versus news outlets that are beneficial versus not and then uh some obviously some apps have fact checks but not all the time so I do sometimes use that if it's available to me so uh, it's kind of just a balance between that. <laughs> okay, let's go ahead and pivot back to like school specifically. What is something that you would for sure want to do differently from what your teachers have done? Um, I would probably want to focus less on memorization, which is what I've noticed a lot of the American school system does. And that's probably why I've kind of done so well, because I'm good with memorizing things. But it's not, but mo- hardly any of the time it's knowing how to use it or how to use anything that you've done, which is why a lot of kids my age are like, well, why do we need this? When have I ever used this? When will I ever need to use this? So I feel like I would try to push more on how we can use it in our real life. Also, like, um, I know a lot of teachers nowadays are focusing like on the stress that students have at home. So I think one thing that I would do differently is to like not pile a lot on them because like some kids come home and they don't have anything to eat. They don't have anywhere to do their homework or even someone to help them with their homework. I know a lot of kids that went to my school who didn't do their homework because they didn't understand it. So like, I think that's one thing that I want to like change about like the teaching nowadays. Uh, what I would do is I would understand the student. Like I would talk to them like, like if they're upset or they're, Cause at my school they really don't do that. Like they just see you're upset, and then they just like take you to the office or send you out. I totally agree with that. You know, um, because I think there's some teachers. If I were to become a teacher, I would most likely talk to to the kid, and um, most likely tell him that I've been in similar situations as him, so I know what he has been going through. Absolutely. Alessandra, you, for example, when you came in seventh grade, I don't know if you remember, I wasn't, you didn't have the easiest time, but I also think you've grown so much as a person. And I think a huge part of that was maybe the, you know, the adults that did believe in you, obviously you and your mom and your sister, right? Like you worked really, really hard. Um, But I am curious, like what did work for you? You know, what made you want to try super hard? Because now you're, you know, a fabulous student and you give it your best. Um, so like, what are the things that inspired you and how did you think people viewed you? And then like, similarly for you, Matthew, like I would hear things about you from other classes and I was like, my Matthew, no. Um, so maybe like, how do you think teachers view you and how does that inspire you to behave a certain way in their classes? If that makes sense. And um, Alessandra, you can start. Um, well, ways that I was inspired was, um, going back to, I was me being a huge Patriots fan. Uh, I look up to people you know such as Michael Jordan Tom Brady all those people because those people have shown me you know not to give up that there's always ways I could accomplish things and also my teachers they would always push me my hardest you know um I actually had a teacher last year that um he would always push me the hardest because he knew that I had a lot of potential so um yeah with all the everything that he pushed me I was actually able to pass on my classes this year yeah Woo-hoo. so yeah that's that's what I that's what I have happened to me you know so yeah, yeah just knowing people believe in you and having role models has been helpful for you yeah not only that but the um the goals that like my family wanted me to accomplish you know because yeah. yeah everything I do is for them you know so yeah yeah absolutely thank you for sharing that uh I also agree with him like that I have teachers 
well, like some teachers that they push me because they see something in me. Um, and one of them is you, Ms. Thanks. Thanks. It's true. I do expect you to be president or something, something huge because, you know, you absolutely could be. Um, but what are the things that like communicate that to you? Because I've said those words, right? I've said I believe in you, but like, are there things that teachers do that show you that they believe in you aside from just like saying it? Uh, I feel like it's just the like the vibe and the respect that they give. Like they don't just like like all oh, this kid. They like try to help you. Mm-hmm, totally. I also feel like there's a lot of like labeling. Um, you know, I've heard it from kids to be like, oh, like they think I'm a bad kid or or something like that. Or teachers even saying like you know, they're a troublemaker. And I think that labeling is super, super harmful for everybody involved. Like, I think if you're a kid and you feel like that's how people view you, you might start to even act in certain ways that you wouldn't before. Cause you're like, Oh, people already think this about me. And same with teachers. I feel like if teachers are told something about a student, um, before they meet them, then they have these expectations. And so like, if their head is down, for instance, cause they're having a bad day, then the teacher thinks it's cause they're misbehaving rather than like, what I think is the logical approach, which is to be like, hey, are you okay, right? Like, what's going on? Um, and so I wonder, like, how do you guys view yourselves as students, you know? I view myself as a student that's always going to try his best no matter what. And if he gets a bad grade, he was going to try to find a way to turn that from a bad grade into a good grade and just never gives up and always pushes himself hard, the hardest no matter what, you know? what about you like what am I labeled as in school yeah how do you view yourself and then how do you think teachers view you well definitely teachers view me like you said as a troublemaker just because like I like talking to my friends and I like like having a good time and I feel like they view me as a troublemaker but I don't know Mm -hmm. and do you agree with that or do you disagree with that a little bit of both uh, a little bit of both because I do behave bad in some classes and then those teachers tell like the the teachers I behave good and that I'm a troublemaker and then they start viewing me differently and start mm-hmm. treating me differently. And so in those classes where you feel like you're, you know, quote unquote, not behaving well, like you're talking with your friends or not paying attention, do you feel like there is a pattern or a reason? It's just that I don't have a relationship with a teacher. Okay. Like, yeah. That's fair. Okay, um, another question, moving away from, like, what happens in class, more to, like, what it's like to be at school. Do you feel like boys and girls in schools, by and large, are held to different expectations? Definitely. And uh, <laughs> and uh, I think I have a couple examples of this, because I'm, I'm more of the, like, book nerd or the math nerd or whatever, because I actually enjoy learning different things. You're but being really humble. For people listening, they need to know that Mia is superstar, student of the year, like eight times running, you know, the kid that the teacher is like, I'm leaving, Mia's in charge. People just need that for context. That's who Mia is. That's who we're listening. Now go ahead. <laughs> being all humble. Um, so, and then I've noticed that obviously there's always like, a, like probably some guy who's the same way or somewhat the same way, but probably isn't putting as much effort as I might be. But then I've noticed the way that we've been like treated differently because like in the same way they'd be like, okay, yeah, sure, me is in charge. But then I do something that you asked me to do and then they'll just tell me that I shouldn't be or that I can't be because and then I they won't say it. But I know that it's because the fact that I'm female that they're just going to assume that I'm probably just like bossy or I just don't know what I'm doing or something like that. So I've noticed it that way that they kind of like don't expect me to be the one to know all these things or to be as successful. So they'll go to the guy who's like, who's that way over me because they believe that that's how it's going to work. And then also, cause there've been a lot of times where I'll just wear, where it's just even comes to just clothing. Like I could wear, uh, I remember vividly one day I wore a muscle shirt because it was all I had clean. And then it was, I, it was a very hot day. And then they made me put on a sweater because it was distracting. And it actually messed me up that day because I couldn't run as fast in PE because I was sweating crazy and I couldn't take off the sweater. And it was, I can tell that it's a big gap there. Um, also, another thing that I've noticed is that like 
for example, in my English class, I remember I was sitting at a table of four and it was most, it was like two guys and like just me and one other girl and the teacher left me in charge. And whenever the boys messed up, like getting out of their seat, she would blame it on me for not keeping an eye out for them. And I was like, why do I have to take care of these boys? They're 14, 15. Like I shouldn't have to be their babysitter. Like I get teaching is a lot of work and like, like you, you're, you have like 25 other kids in the class, but I shouldn't be expected to take care of these boys who should already be knowing what they're doing. Basically. So like if a girl behaves, a teacher wouldn't, I mean, misbehaves, a teacher wouldn't like expect that. They expect like the boys to be more like, like, how do you say it? Like behave bad. Like, to uh-huh. make it, yeah. Interesting. And do you feel like it's true? Like, do you feel like boys act out more than girls? Or do you feel like that's just a, a belief that teachers have? Uh, yeah, they do act out more. But I feel like when a girl acts out, it's like, whoa, like, whoa, that's something big. But like, hmm. it, when a boy acts out, it's like normal. I totally agree with that, too, you know, because um, I feel like when a girl behaves bad, some teachers just think of it as something weird, you know, because they think that they're usually going to be good. And when guys act um, good, I guess some teachers might find it surprising because they might be used to seeing him being act as a bad person. Yeah, I think it's really interesting. I'll, I'll be honest, right? Like from my perspective as a teacher, I do feel like that's true. I feel like when, you know, boys behave really well, we celebrate them even more because the expectation is that they didn't, that they wouldn't right? Versus girls, they're expected to behave really well. So they don't really get celebrated as much or noticed as much because that's just like the normal for them and the normal expectation. And then on the flip side, like in terms of like punishment or how we view them, I think it's really interesting because I do think with girls, if they do quote unquote misbehave, we maybe give them more of the benefit of the doubt that we don't give boys, right? We may be like, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? Versus with boys, we're like, oh, they're just doing that because that's who they are. And we don't give them the same care. There is a long history of some very robust data to back up the observations that were just shared. First and foremost, boys on average receive harsher exclusionary discipline than girls for the same behaviors. Starting in preschool, more boys are retained, suspended, and expelled. They make up 79% of preschool suspensions, despite representing only 54% of preschool enrollment. And yes, people do suspend preschoolers, I know. In addition, according to the U.S. Department of Education for Civil Rights, girls of all races are suspended out of school at lower rates than boys of the same race. However, this is a really good place to mention the immense racial disparities that do exist in school discipline as well. For example, during the 2013 to 2014 school year, out of all the public school students who received out-of-school suspensions, black boys and black girls had more than any other group by race or gender. 17.6 of all total suspensions that year went to black boys and 9.6% went to black girls. This was more than any other group. And as a point of comparison, and especially with regard to this episode, um, Hispanic boys made up 6.4% of those suspensions and Hispanic girls made up only 26 Research has also been done to explore other potential factors that you might be thinking about, like parenting, family income, and disability status. In spite of controlling for all of these factors, the gender gap prevails. So understanding that the discipline differences happen even when boys and girls exhibit the same behavior, we are about to jump back in and explore some potential causes for differences in behavior. Let's do it. And from before you walk into the classroom, right, the expectations that have been put on you by society, I think, affect you a lot. Um, And I'm curious if you think there's a connection, a cultural connection there. Uh, definitely in a Mexican household, like the girls are, are like, oh, you have to wash the dishes and the boys is like, they can do whatever you want. But I don't think that's fair because like we, us boys also use the dishes. So we're supposed to do <laughs> them too. Like not only girls should cook, like I cook all the time for my sisters. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And do you think that carries over into school? Like, is that why you're bringing it up? Because those kinds of expectations are still in your brain 
yeah, like the girls like are supposed to behave like like in a old school Mexican like yeah the the lady is supposed to do everything, but I don't believe that. That's I don't know what it's called. I think sexism. Yeah, sexism. Yeah, or misogyny. There's lots of words for it, but I'm so proud of you. <laughs> I can attest to that because I remember like a couple of like weeks ago actually my brother was really mad at my mom because they gave my mom the option to either send him to school twice a week or like stay like all the time at home like just on the computer and he got so mad at her and he was like yelling at her and I remember like sitting there with my sisters and my sisters told them like if I had yelled at my mom like that I would have been sent with my dad so like I, I definitely see the difference there. And like, even with my dad, like I wanted to sleep over at my friend's house one time and he told me no, but my brother's over there sleeping. Like, um, he's almost gone the whole week. The, yeah, the double standard is real in the classroom and at home, it sounds like. Yeah, I can relate. Um, I've been kind of fortunate that I don't live in like a traditional Latin household where they expect me to be the one to go get married or to be the one to go cook and clean or whatever I mean they teach yeah, me to shut up me as parents <laughs> they want me to cook and clean because I mean I should know how to cook and clean but it's um not like the pressure expectation for me to do any of that so I definitely feel very fortunate because I know a lot of friends uh, of mine who are living like that and who are forced to like have that kind of household but I do kind of see like subtle hints of the fact that I'm at I'm my uh, dad's side I am an only child I'm the only girl so it's kind of I'm the only one who's going to be doing anything. <laughs> but on my mom's side, I have a couple siblings, um, including a younger sister and then a younger brother. And uh, I've noticed a lot about the way they're both have a lot of outbursts. And I've noticed a, between the way that they're treated, um, mm-hmm. my sister will have a lot of outbursts and rightfully so she'll get in trouble. But then I'll see the brother have a couple outbursts and then they'll kind of just talk to him versus the kind of way that they're talking to Emma. And I know it is also a difference between just the two. There's two different separate parents there. So it's obviously their choice. Yeah. And, and you feel like that plays out in the classroom as well. Um, what about like your male peers? Like, do you feel like they're aware of this double standard? I think that the boys at my school definitely understand the power dynamic because when I was sitting at that table, one of the boys, like, I guess it finally, like, clicked for him that he was, like, making my life harder. So he was like, hey, you know, like, sit down, like, get back in your suit, like, let's actually do work. And he was like, I don't have to listen to her, like, she'll just be the one getting in trouble. And so I think that's definitely, like, they know what they're doing and they know how to play their cards right. We know that there are people, you know, at all ends of the spectrum and that understands and don't take advantage. But I do think it is really important to acknowledge, like, your individual experiences and how you felt. I think that's super, super valid. So thank you for sharing that. Pivoting a little bit away from, like, maybe sexism and the double standard, I want to switch a little bit to racism. And, you know, we know what happens in schools. We know what happens everywhere. But in your experiences, have you all felt like teachers and administrators have been equipped to handle instances of racism either against you or that you've seen? Yes or no? Why or why not? I think that there's been some times where teachers actually don't handle it. And you just have to find ways, you know, to make it stop. And if they're not going to stop, then obviously to make them stop, you have to go into a way that you're going to get in trouble yourself. But it's worth it, you know, as long as they stop doing what they're doing, then you might as well just take the risk, you know. Mm-hmm. And why do you think teachers or administrators don't step in? Because they're uncomfortable or they don't know about it? Um, I feel like they they know about it, but they just sometimes don't find ways to stop it. At my school, they really do address it. Like if you call like a racial slur or something, like even if you say like a like, somebody i don't know how how do they say it you can you can say it what like are they name a specific word yeah like the f word when you call somebody Uh yeah like like if you call anybody like any name like they give you like a article like to learn about yeah there's a whole bunch of uh, we call them take twos right there's ones on like body type all kinds of things yeah do you feel like those work yeah i think it is helpful because when you you actually have to do the work in order to yeah. get out of that situation. Mm-hmm. And you learn a lot about, um, like, I had a lot of take twos. And, yeah, they, I actually learned a lot about that. And I stopped saying that word. 
Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you so much for being willing to share that. That makes me really happy. And I think that's really important for people to hear, especially as young people. I think a lot of the times you say things or do things because you've seen other people do them, not because you're like full of hatred and you want, you know, to be this like horribly racist or sexist person, but like your friends are doing it. There's peer pressure. You don't think it's a big deal. So I do think it's really important to have an opportunity to learn about it. Right. And to be like, oh, maybe I shouldn't say this, but like, it's very different to come to that conclusion on your own rather than have someone be like, me, 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 don't say it. Right. Um, I actually, same as Matthew, I actually had a, a situation where something like that happened. I was calling someone a Jew. And so, yeah, I had to take one of those papers and, uh-huh. and learn just basically about the Holocaust. And, and that helped you understand maybe why you shouldn't say that. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. You're both so far ahead of so many adults, like being willing to talk about mistakes you made and what you learned from them is incredible so hopefully people listening will learn from you both um awesome so I don't think I've necessarily had a racist teacher I can't really like pinpoint that only because I've been to schools around the area where pretty much all of us are the same race I have seen them kind of like brush away that kind of stuff versus address it but they haven't like allowed it they've just kind of just been like okay it happened we're just moving on or whatever Um, I know in a a couple schools I've been to that there's been a lot of people just throwing around the n-word like it's okay and then a lot of teachers just like don't do anything about it or they'll just be like just don't say that and then they'll just move away without saying anything about it Um, and then even like towards ourselves like uh, I'm a lighter skinned Mexican so a lot of people kind of just assume that I'm not Mexican especially because I don't speak fluent Spanish um, so I've kind of noticed that too, when they're like, oh, well, you wouldn't get it, but I do because I have grown up in a Latin household. I do know these things. It's just, I look different. So I've kind of noticed it in both ways. I grew up neither where I haven't experienced a lot of like racist teacher- teachers because in East LA, it is like predominantly like Mexican and like Latinos. But um, there was this one time this teacher it was more of like a not understanding or culture type of thing. So it doesn't sound like that big of a deal, but we would call him Mr. And he said like, oh, is that like a cultural thing? Cause I don't get it. Like, I don't understand it. Like, why can't you guys just call me like Mr. And his last name. But then like, I was talking to my friends and I was like, well, like in Spanish, you would say like Senor or like Senora, but like, in, in English that translates to just like Mr. and Mrs. So like he kind of like didn't get it. Like in our culture, it's like a sign of respect, but in his it's seen as like a disrespectful because he is like white. So like, he's not used to just calling them like Mr. and Miss. So I've definitely have like teachers who like just didn't understand like like a culture type thing. You know, I have a lot of thoughts on this, um, but do you feel that teachers should generally reflect the populations that they teach? Or do you feel, I mean, that's a tricky question. Or do you feel that they should be as diverse as possible? What do you, what do you both think? Um, I don't think they should like reflect the like population that they teach. I think they should just like, instead of punishing them for like, like obviously like the culture gap, like the Miss and Mrs. thing, they should try to like learn from it and like understand it. But I don't think they should, like, change their ways just to fit, like, the all-Latino school or, like, the all-Black school, you know? Um, I agree. Like, they shouldn't, like, be forcing, like, okay, this school has mainly Latino kids. Let's put all Latino teachers. While it is good to be taught by someone that looks like you or that is like you, and there should definitely be a lot more uh, teachers of color in our schools in general. But um, I think just, like, erasing uh, the white teachers from our schools would also be unbeneficial because, first of all, we're not getting that contact with white more white people so we're not like learning how that kind of works and also they're not learning a lot more about our culture and they're not learning what's right or what's wrong or how to actually work around that so I feel like just doing one or the other is not good either way awesome okay so pivoting a little bit if you were going to redesign schools right let's just like imagine that there's this world where you can make schools up completely you have unlimited money it can look however you want how, but there's still school, right? How would it look? My dream school would basically be um, where instead of learning things that you would need for college, you would learn things that you would need in life, you know, basically like if, but you get to pick, you know, if you want to learn how to cook, then you'll learn how to cook. If you want to learn how to be a teacher, you can learn how to be a teacher and be yeah, just et cetera, you know, things like that. 
I think they should be smaller. I know I've been to a couple, like my elementary schools have all been really big. And then my, since middle school, my schools have been really small. And I've felt that it's better that way because then there's more attention to each student versus just, oh, I have to teach this random group of kids. And then uh, just in general, like being understanding of people's home situations, not just giving certain people excuses, but being understanding to everyone, making it equal that way. So you're not pressuring, like you have to be able to have done this online, but they don't have internet connection or you have to have been able to do this neatly. Like I, I can tell you wrote this on a kitchen table when that's probably the only place you have to work. Just like being a little bit more forgiving on that kind of sense, because not everyone has the same like access to everything. Or even if they know that they don't have access, giving them access to those things or being able to provide that for students so that they can be able to learn. And then also probably not forcing a lot of these other subjects that students most likely won't need. For sure. Sam, what about you? Um, for like my dream school, I think a lot of what Mia said, like offer more like realistic classes. Cause like I had to learn what a credit score was like off of TikTok. Like they didn't teach me what a credit score was in school. Like I think like definitely a lot, not even that, like a lot, like more hands-on classes. Cause you mentioned this earlier, like we're just sitting down for eight hours. Like we're not like really doing anything like learning how to do things like cook or like even like clean simple things like clean our stoves clean our ovens like stuff like that like so simple things that school doesn't teach us but it's like so necessary absolutely I have no idea how to clean an oven (laughs) absolutely (laughs) um yeah I would let the students choose classes and we would have like a big field to play like uh to exercise for PE and all of that I will also, uh, also I would also set separate it by like levels. So like level one would be like the ones who need the most help, you know, who find it a hard time trying to understand. Mm-hmm. And level five would be like the ones who don't need help at all that understand mm-hmm. it perfectly. So not necessarily by like grade or age, but more just by like what help you actually need. Yeah. Uh, okay. Can I disagree with him? Sure. Yeah. Um, I say I disagree because maybe the level one people feel like level five are better and probably level five would like be really cocky like oh I'm better than him and better than him and I feel like they would be felt left out and I feel like it shouldn't be like that I feel like it should be like everyone's equal. Yeah this is a really you guys just hit on this really important debate within education because it's tricky right like on the one hand you want kids to be supported you want them to get the help that they specifically need We want to help them feel like the work that's in front of them is something that they can do, but that is still challenging them. But on the other hand, you don't want, you know, what you just described, Matthew, you don't want kids internalizing or feeling like, oh, well, I'm a dumb kid. Um, So it's really tricky. And I also think like having mixed levels together is cool because I really like seeing kids teach other kids or help each other out. But also also what you're saying is super valid because it's, you know, it's really tough if you're at like a third grade reading level, for example, and you're in a seventh grade class. That doesn't feel good, right? To like sit there and constantly struggle through everything. Um, so it's t- it's really tough. I don't have the answer. <laughs> I think like the way schools look is also such so important. Like Matthew, we didn't have a place for you all to play, right? Like you and Alessandro, you were there too, right? Yeah. You would play on in the on the asphalt in the parking lot, and that's. I mean, I think that's atrocious, right? Like you to be able to run around and have a place where you feel safe, a space that's yours, to hang out with your friends, like. I think schools should be should look more um, less like prisons because people who design prisons also design schools, but also just like have the things that kids need and want, which is space to run and play, you know, food that you like, space to hang out. Um, as it stands right now, like you know, most schools want to do these things, but they don't have the money or have the resources to do it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I agree. You know, because not only do they look like prisons, but I personally feel like I'm in a prison every time when I'm in school. So yeah, that would also be my goal to make it feel less prison, to make it feel more like a home, you know? Have you both heard the term like the school to prison pipeline? No, it's basically this idea 
well, it's a long explanation, but it's basically this idea that like schools don't actually prepare you or don't prepare like poor or black or brown or some combination of students for the real world. They prepare them for prison by getting them ready for a life, you know, behind bars, a life where you don't have freedom and doing things like what we just said, right? Having to ask to use the bathroom or get water. And sharpen your pencil or get a tissue. Yeah. Yeah. But also more extreme examples like schools that actually have police officers in them. You know, I'm very glad that our school did not and and firmly did not believe in that. But there are tons of schools in L.A. where like a school fight can get you arrested um, as a kid. Right. So it's really frustrating because, you know, there are plenty of schools that instead of empowering students and making them feel like they're getting ready for their whatever future they want. It's like, well, we're just getting you ready to to enter prison. So you're right about the police officers like. Like, back in elementary, like, I would go to school in South Central, and there would be, like, polices every time a, a fight broke out, or, like... At like, your elementary school? Yeah. Oh, my God. And, in, like, yeah, my cousin would tell me in high school, like, they would just, like, like, like even if they start arguing, like, they pol- the police takes them, like, because they didn't want anything to break out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, it blows my mind. Elementary schoolers are literally four to ten years old. That just blows my mind that people are like, the solution here is police. Um. Some context here. The Los Angeles School Police Department is the largest school police department in the United States, with over 350 sworn police officers. However, after a lot of work this summer by activists and youth activists especially, the LA Board of Education has approved a 35% cut to its school police force. That's $25 million, which sounds like a lot, but for perspective. In 2018, California invested an average of $64,642 per inmate, as compared to $11,495 per student. That is over a $53,000 difference in spending priorities per person. To add to this, the California Prison Guard oversees an average of 5.3 prisoners, compared to the 20.8 students that a California teacher supervises. And to be honest, based on the teachers I know, that's a lot closer to 30. This makes me want to literally rip my hair out because from experience and from what you've heard Mia say, the teacher to student ratio has an immense impact on learning outcomes. It is absolutely no secret where our priorities lie as a state and as a nation when it comes to prisons versus education. Okay, back to the kids. The, you know, last couple of questions. Is there anything that you would like to tell people your age or adults, advice that you have, wisdom that you would like to share? And at the same time, or we can do this after, what are your absolutely not? First of all, advice that I have for kids my age is that it's been very hard for me to grasp the idea that everything you see on social media is like not true. Because like I'll scroll down TikTok and there's these people with like big homes, like they have an in-home gym, they have a Pool, they have like a good paying job and like that's just like especially in East LA it's just not realistic also I've seen a lot of like hate comments recently on TikToks especially around like realistic body type just like tune them out because I've obviously like we've all had problems with like body image so it's very hard to like see those comments and then be like I still love my body like it's obviously like not that realistic just like keep pushing yourself it's it's a very lengthy journey so yeah yes that goes to everyone every age you're (laughs) wise beyond your years always have been Sam but like I wish I could say like you turn 20 and all of a sudden you have self-love and everything about your body is fine like wish it were that simple but you're absolutely right it's a lifelong struggle it's a lifelong thing that you have to work on and I appreciate you saying that um well, for people our age, um, my advice would be just don't give up, you know. I may not know you, but I will believe in you um, because I am going through the situation if you're in high school right now or not. It all, it's all worth it, you know, because at the end of the day, you're going to be graduating and it's just going to be a great day, you know. But for um, teachers, just try to understand what they're going through and... Um, Try to find a way they could help them, you know? Uh, an advice I have for kids my age, don't try to be cool. Like, like I try to just don't do what other kids are doing 
because you're not going to succeed in life. The teachers are not going to believe in you if you hang out with like people that smoke or behave bad or like do bad things. Like I definitely regret my my choices and friends. Mm-hmm. Like it it was pretty hard to get out of that. Like I made all my like close friends stop doing what they were doing. Like they were pre pressured in and I told them that it's not cool. Like and they understood and they're like, oh yeah, you're right. Like we should stop doing that. You know, I think that's um, super powerful for you to be like, hey, I actually think I don't want this. And I also care enough about my friends to be like, I don't want this for them either. Like, let's let's figure out what we can do that's best for us. Awesome. Are there any absolutely nots that you guys would like to share? Absolutely do not stop being yourself. Always be yourself, no matter what. Be proud of who you are. Be proud of what background you come from. Did you have anything, you know, for adults, for teachers or just adults in general? I know what it is, but I don't know how to say it. Like they don't assume stuff or, or yeah, like they don't believe in kids. Like, oh, you shouldn't get in this conversation because you're, it's adult talk, but I don't feel like that. Oh yeah. Like to not, to not put down kids that are, you know, entering conversations out of like curiosity and like assume that they don't know what they're talking about and to like squash it. Yeah. Yeah. So instead to like engage and have the conversation with the kid and, and hear them out. Mm. Um, I would say that people my age should be able to first, try to not fit into the mold that older generations want us to fit into, which is we're lazy, we don't care, and we just want to go on our phones all the time. We should be pushing that boundary and showing more often that we actually make a lot of change in this world and we can, and that we've used our new um, our new uh, ways of communication like social media, um, other forms of communication um, to spread this information and to be more knowledgeable so that by the time we are adults, we know what to do or how to go about societal change so that we should not underestimate ourselves and that older generations should not underestimate us because it's the truth that Generation Z will probably do a lot more for this than a lot of other ones have um, because we are more knowledgeable about all these other things, uh, these other issues, because a lot of the consequences of these issues are starting to show now. So I feel like it's important that we understand that you can't really assume too much about us when you have to just understand that we're trying. Absolutely. That's a beautiful, beautiful place to end. I appreciate your time and your wisdom. And I'm so excited to see the world where, you know, you are in charge. <laughs> and that brings us to the end. Bye. 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 <laughs> Thanks for joining us today on Absolutely Not. I hope you leave this episode a little more inspired and hopeful about our future. I know I am. Again, this was part one of a two-part series on education. Check out episode nine for a discussion from the educator perspective. In the meantime, listen to the youth. They have so much to offer and truly are our future as corny as it sounds. Special shout out to all the students, teachers, administrators, and school staff working incredibly hard to ensure that this new school year still includes learning and relationship building while remaining flexible and aware of the additional challenges. I appreciate all the educators working two and three times as hard delivering technology and meals, the parents that are figuring out how to make space for their children to learn at home and helping them through the technological hurdles, and everyone within school communities who, despite the ginormous gaps in funding, support, and respect, always find a way to make it work. Thanks again for listening. Nos vemos next time on Absolutely Not. Absolutely not.